Hello, Redeemed Church. What is up? It's your friend, Eddie Johnson, here. Uh, we're sharing today, this week's message. We're here on Palm Sunday, uh, sharing our message this week. I'm so excited to be sharing on Palm Sunday. Last year, um, I got to share on Resurrection Day. Uh, today, I get to share on Palm Sunday. Um, man, it's April 2022. Can that, just let that sink in for a second. How crazy is that? I've always um, wanted to share on Palm Sunday. And matter of fact, I'm not always just one to share, but I've always had a few questions about Palm Sunday. Now we're continuing our message uh, in the Romans series. This week we're going to talk about Romans 9, and it actually fits perfectly into a, a Palm Sunday message. A um, uh, little behind the scenes information. Sometimes uh, your sermon series don't always line up to the calendar, calendar, calendar with your sermon series, but we make it work. And one of the questions I always have with Palm Sunday, one of the number one questions is simply this. Before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he tells his disciples in Matthew 21 and Luke 19, he tells them, he says, hey, guys, go on ahead of me and you're going to find a donkey. I need you to grab that donkey and bring it back to me. Some random donkey who's owned by a random dude. And they, his disciples just say, sure, yeah. They just go up to a dude who has a donkey that's tied to a fence post. And they're like, hey, yo, we need this donkey. We're taking it. And the guy's like, okay, I just, that's weird to me. Like, if I'm just some random dude, I'm out farming, doing my thing, carrying my, bringing my, 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 uh, my, uh, my packages in from Amazon Prime. I loaded up my donkey after I left Whole Foods and Target, and I'm on, I'm on my way home, and I park my donkey um, in front of my house, and I'm loading this burrow uh, and stocking my fridge, and two random dudes just knock on my door, and we're like, hey, we need your donkey because our friend, the Messiah, needs to ride in on it. Now, here's my thing. I understand. You can read the Bible. That is a, a, a fulfillment of prophecy. But that just feels like one of those random prophecies to me that God was like, ah, I just want to have some fun. Uh, the Messiah is going to ride in on a donkey and they're going to get it from this random dude. I don't know. It just feels so arbitrary and funny and goofy. But I'm weird. That's how my brain works. Not only that, but when I think about Palm Sunday, I actually think about the Holy Week. Another story that blows my mind away. And it's something that's really subtle. It's right there in scripture. And it's, and it's a statement that's almost a throwaway statement. You see, we start the week where Jesus enters in, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. People are celebrating his name. And by the end of the week, he is on trial and people are demanding that he is the one who gets put to death. Right? In Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 18... Okay? It highlights and it tells the account of how the crowd demanded to have Jesus be crucified and put to death. And they said, give us Barabbas. And the Bible tells us that the governor of that community, Pontius Pilate, says, hey, 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 I have found no sin in this man. He's done nothing wrong. And they're like, we want blood. Kill him. Give, uh, uh, crucify him. And the Bible says, when Pilate saw he was getting nowhere with the crowd, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and he said, this man's blood is innocent. He is your responsibility. And then verse 25, here's what the people said. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. The crowd started the week celebrating, celebrating this king who rode in on a donkey. And at the end of the week, in the midst of their bloodlust, they said the most prophetic statement in human history, one of the most prophetic statements in human history, 
would his blood be on us and our children? Jesus went in one week from being in the prom king to being the crucified Messiah. And the people said, would his blood be on us and our children? Little did they know these people who just wanted to sacrifice something, they were so unfulfilled. They thought that they were getting one thing or they thought they were getting one thing with the Messiah that when he gave them another thing, they rejected him. They thought in saying that they were just done with him and over him. But really what they were saying was, this is a prophetic statement. The very thing they were against was the thing that was there to save them. The blood of the shed lamb is the thing that is shed to save us. The blood of the lamb is given to us to cover our sins, to clear up our iniquity. We, our sins were as scarlet, but we've been washed as white as snow, is what the prophet Isaiah tells us. And these people cried out for the blood, thinking that they were getting their justification. But little did they know, the thing that they thought that they were finally getting uh, their fulfillment of was the one thing that actually is what they needed to save them. Isn't that so ironic? Man, that's crazy. And that really brings us to Romans chapter 9 today. Romans chapter 9, we get into another conversation of the rejection of Jesus. All right? He, he, we, we, we've shared in this Roman series that it starts out where God it brings you, Paul brings you into God's courthouse. And over the course of time, it talks about how um, you cannot live up to what God has for you, the God standard. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to live up to that. But the Lord invites you into relationship, into family with him. And then throughout the, um, the letter of Romans, we progress from that to what does this new, renewed, transformed life look like? What's our responsibility as believers? Well, in Romans chapter nine, and really nine, 10, and 11, Paul takes a detour and he kind of goes back to the beginning and he brings us back into the courtroom. More specifically, he actually brings Israel, Israel back into the courtroom because he points out the fact that Israel, in the same way where we just talked about during the Passion Week, during the Holy Week, where a group of people, where the crowd rejected the Messiah and said, we want his blood, we want him to be, to be crucified. Paul highlights the fact that if we're being honest, Israel, Jews, you're the ones who've rejected the Messiah and you've got to be held accountable in the same way where we have held an account in the beginning of Romans. We've brought folks into the church house, Paul, or excuse me, the courthouse. Paul brings the Jews back into the courthouse, back into the courtroom and says, hey, I got to I got to tell you what's up, Israel, you've done wrong. You've missed the boat. You missed the mark. Paul wrote in Romans 1:16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, or the translations say the Gentile. Here's what we've got to understand. This is not just a cute statement or Paul trying to um, be inspirational or aspirational. He's actually giving us a theological process and order. The reality is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ was first given to the Jews in the Old Testament. And we've read this all, or we've studied this all throughout Romans. But the gospel of salvation, the saving power that God has given to people started with Moses, started with before that Abraham. It started with the Jews and the gospel progressed out from the Jewish history and culture and society into all of humanity. Even Peter, 
when the on the day of Pentecost, when he is saying how the gospel will be preached, really, he's just echoing this same idea that's really been established throughout history. Acts 1.8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you'll be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a theological idea, not just uh, a statement of process. This is a big idea of how the gospel of Christ, how the gospel of Jesus, how God's plan gets unveiled throughout human history. It started with God's chosen people, the Jews, and then was uh, every page was turned throughout history until the point where it was revealed to even the Gentiles. Paul in Romans 9 highlights it even more here, where he's bringing Israel into the courthouse because he's made it clear the gospel was revealed to you, Jews, but you missed the mark somehow. And we gotta, I gotta, I gotta bring you up on 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 account. I gotta bring up your these accusations. I gotta point these fingers at you because it's really important. Romans nine verse three and five. My kinsmen, Paul's talking to his fellow Jews. He says, according to the flesh, my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, we got the same blood, we got the same DNA, we're of the same cultural and, and mental mindset. We're the same ethnicity, ethnicity. We're of the same people. They are Israelites, continue in this verse. And to them, to Israel belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, in other words, born of their flesh, from their bloodline, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Here's what Paul is highlighting. Here's why he brings Israel into the courthouse in Romans chapter 9. He's clearly saying this. What you don't understand, Israel, is that in the same way where the folks rejected the Messiah in front of Pontius Pilate, saying, give us this man's blood, you have done that throughout history. And in you doing this throughout history, the problem with this is you've rejected the, the, the great relationship that God always had for you. Paul highlights a couple aspects of the relationship here. Number one, he highlights the fact that Israel's a special nation, right? We know this throughout history. The Bible says Israel's the apple of his eye. They're his prized possession. They are the people by which God wanted to grow and, and make famous so that his name would be made great through them. They were God's special chosen nation. Paul says in Romans that they were adopted. In other words, they were saved. They were grafted into. Israel was grafted into God's family. Through the faith of Abraham, his family was made great and wide and vast. God revealed his glory to them. We see it in scripture, the Shekinah glory of God. This is a supernatural mystery where God said to Israel, I'm going to show you the, the, the awesomeness, the vastness, the, the amazingness. I don't even know if amazingness is a word of who I am. God gave them his covenant. The old covenant, the agreement, he says, I, pry, I, I swear that this is the relationship we're going to have. Paul tells them that God gave them his laws with Moses on the stone tablets. They were the ones who had the privilege to know how to engage with God in worship. God gave them his promises. Not only that, but the Bible tells us they had a godly ancestry and that they were the people by which the Messiah came. Israel had all of this and rejected God. They had all of this 
and lived unfaithful to God. Wow. Let that sink in for a second. And before we get too high and mighty and think we're something special today, us Gentiles over here, we do the same thing today. The Lord now has revealed to us himself in so many amazing ways. And how often do we reject him as well? But here's the great part of our God and our Savior. Here's who God is. Even though we reject him, that doesn't compromise his faithfulness. Even though we are unfaithful, his faithfulness is still good. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he is faithful. He remains faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. In fact, God, when Israel rejected him, God didn't just uh, stop there and say, oh, what, what I'm going to do, right? It's not like God's plan failed here, but the Lord made it clear to Israel, I am going to not just reveal who I am to you, but I'm going to reveal it to others because just because your DNA says you're an Israelite, just because your DNA and your ethnocentricity says I'm a part of this, this, this uh, God bloodline, okay, um, uh, doesn't mean that you get the benefits, doesn't mean that you automatically get to be in the cool kids club, right? This is the same idea that we say today. God has only children. He has no grandchildren. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you've rejected him, if you've disconnected from him, you miss out on all these blessings, all these privileges, all these advantages. Paul highlights this in Romans 9, 6 when he says, but it's not as though God's world has failed. It is not as though God's world has failed. For not all those who are descendants of Israel belong to Israel, right? Once again, like I just said, it's not that just because you're born into this family, you get grafted in. You've got to believe. That's the entire message of Romans. You're now, Israel's now in the courthouse. Paul's bringing their accounts up in front of them and saying, hey, you rejected the goodness of God. You rejected all the great things of God. You thought just because you were born into this family, you got the golden ticket. You thought you were born on third base and you hit a home run, right? That's not the case. You've got to believe. And, and it's not just about you believing, but truly for anyone who believes gets to be brought into this family. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 9, as indeed he says in Hosea, for those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And verse 26, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. You see, the Lord had a plan from the very beginning. He wanted to make Israel's possession, Israel his prized possession, the apple of his eye, the highlight and the special nation that he was going to use to send his, his word out to the entire world. But many in Israel rejected. And the Lord said, you know, I always knew that this would be a contentious relationship. I always knew there'd be some problems. So I want you to also know that my goodness, my grace, my salvation, my, my adoption, my glory, all these great things that I've delivered through Israel, I'm also going to deliver it to the Gentiles. This is something we've seen all throughout Scripture. Hosea highlighted it here. Those who are not my people will be called my people. Those who are not beloved will be called beloved. Those who were orphans will be called sons of God. This is something that's been all throughout the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament too, right? I just thought of off the top of my head. I didn't even put a lot of thought into it. I just, as I was studying and going through all this, I thought of three examples. 
Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 8, the faith of the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, I, 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 I need, matter of fact, we'll just read it. Matthew 8, 5 says this, when he had entered Caper Capernaum, a centurion from uh, excuse me, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home and is suffering terribly. He said to Jesus, I, or Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you under my roof, but only say the word and I know my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority and with my soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The gospel, which was rejected by some, God always had a plan to bring others into the family. And in this moment, when there's a man who is literally the figurehead of authority, of abuse of authority, of controlling authority over the Jewish people, this same man, this Roman centurion, says, I have faith in Jesus. Jesus highlights his faith and says, even in Israel, my own people, I've never seen this type of faith. We see this in John chapter 10 where Jesus is sharing about how he is the good shepherd. And he goes on in verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for my sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold that I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Wow, Jesus is making it clear, Israel, you are my flock, but I've got more. I've got more flock out there, and they are not ethnically, culturally, they don't identify with all the things we've identified with. They don't have the history that you have, but they are going to be brought in a part of this family because of their faith that they believe in me. And the biggest uh, story we see, at least in the New Testament or in the Gospels, where Jesus, Jesus highlights the relationship he has um, the salvation relationship he has with the Gentiles, we see it in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son and the older brother, all right? For many years, people always thought, um, or one idea about the story of the prodigal son, but shout out to Tim Keller, who wrote a book, and all of a sudden everyone realized it had a bigger implication than we, when we thought. But it highlights this way, Luke 15, 25. Now, the older brother was in the field, and context, time out, time out, let's do this here. Just so you know, if you don't know, I'd hate to assume that everyone listening right now knows the story of the prodigal, okay? The story goes like this. It's a parable that God, that Jesus is giving, sharing uh, that there were two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son wanted all his inheritance, hoarded and took it all, and went and lived a wild life and was left destitute with nothing and came back to the father. The older brother lived honorably, did everything his dad ever told him to do, never, never uh, said nary a, the, the sly word or anything. And then all of a sudden, the older brother comes back home, sees his younger brother who squandered everything. This is a parable. This is an illustrative story that Jesus is giving. The younger brother comes home and the older brother sees him. And the older brother is like, what, dad, you're giving my little bro who squandered all your inheritance that you gave him? You're like throwing a party for him? And let's read, let's, now with that backstory, let's pick up in Luke chapter uh, 15, verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Come on now. When you are brought into the family, when you are brought in to be a part of the family, the Lord's got music and dancing. Spotify and YouTube music are bumping and the Lord's throwing a party. All right. He called to one of his servants and asked, uh, what do these things? What's going on is what he said. And the servant said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father. He said, Look, Dad, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when your son who came uh, home, uh, who de devoured your property with prostitutes and killed you, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, the dad said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. It was filling that I celebrate to be glad, for your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now found. Tim Keller's book writes about how like, this even story is about um, Israel, how Israel was thinking, hey, we do everything right. We do all these good things for God. Yay, look at us. But really, they never had the relationship. And really for us today, a lot of us, maybe you were raised in church or maybe um, you, 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 you had that grandparent that prayed for you growing up and you thought that was good enough. The Bible makes it pretty clear, once again, like I said earlier, that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. If all you have done is punch the clock, check the box, said my mom and dad were Christians, my bloodline is from a bunch of people who came before me, but you never have real faith in Jesus, you never come back and establish a relationship with him, you don't have anything. You've really just rejected him. When I tell young people, and I'm talking with young people, and I do this with adults too, but especially with young people, when I'm sharing the truth of the gospel with them, a lot of times I will say this. I will say, understand something. You can make a decision to say yes to Christ right now, or you can say, I'm gonna, I need some time to wait, or you can say, I'm just going to outright say no. But really, if you're saying uh, yes, that's awesome, that's great. But if you're saying wait, or I need time to think about it, you're still saying no. Because the Lord has said, everything I've given to you is here, laid out on the table. I have prepared this beautiful uh, meal for you, and I want you to sit and dine with me. And every time you say, oh, I'm not sure, oh, I'm just thinking about it, oh, uh, really, you're rejecting, you're rejecting the offer that he's given you. And Paul makes it clear in the courthouse of the Lord, Israel, you've done that. And in you doing that, you can't be surprised when I bring others in to partake and to be a part of this family. All right. It's a lot of stuff. Take a deep breath. Breathe. <gasps> Woosa. It's a lot of context. Uh, there is no way... And I could do justice sharing all the content that's in Romans 9. And really, quite frankly, 9, 10, and 11 are kind of their own chunk of Scripture inside the greater conversation of the letters uh, from Paul to the church in Rome. But here's what I did do. I gave you a little bit of a slice of this new dialogue that Paul's having. I would encourage you to make sure that you go home and you dig in to Romans 9, 10, and 11. I will give you recommendations on books and commentaries and devotionals to read, but here's what you've got to understand. In this chunk of scripture, Paul's making it crystal clear. God is good. God is sovereign. God is righteous. Israel has rejected him. 
and God has brought in Gentiles who were never part of the original promise, or at least uh, Israel never thought they were part of the original promise. God's brought them in to be a part of the family. So the question is, how does all of this apply for us today? Well, here's what I would title the message, right? Little did you know, that was really one giant introduction. Here's what I would have titled this message today if we were going to give it a title. I would call it the unexpected or the unpredictable gospel. You see, Israel never expected that the gospel that was shared to them, the love and the relationship, the privileges of God that were shared to them, they didn't realize, they were never uh, ready for it, the fact that this was something that was really for all of mankind. So here's the question I have for you. Where in your life as a believer, if you're out there and you love Jesus, have you been operating on autopilot and you've had your eyes uh, uh, blinded or maybe you just haven't been looking out for the unexpected things the Lord wants to do in your world? Let's go back to our verse, Romans 1:16. For I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jew and the Gentile. Where in your life does God want to bring the gospel through you? Because you've been thinking the gospel was one thing. Because you've been thinking the story that God wants to share with other people looked a certain way. You had your blinders on, your eyes closed. You were never fully aware of it. Where can you open your eyes up today and see the unexpected gospel, the realities of the gospel? Who is it that God wants to bring, into, bring in to part of his family, a part of our big family, that never you would have ever thought they'd be part of the family? Paul, uh, when he shares here in Romans chapter 1, I found this. I, I didn't come up with this one myself. Parts of this message were creative, fun, eddy ideas. Parts were some amazing commentaries and theologians that I've studied and read. And as I was reading one, one person wrote it this way. In Paul's mind, there were, uh, like there were, uh, these were the P's of the gospel. The person of the gospel is Jesus. The power of the gospel is God's. The purpose of the gospel is for salvation. The people to whom the gospel are for are for everyone. The plan of acceptance of the gospel were for those who believe. And the particular results of the gospel is that the righteous will live by faith. One theologian wrote that Paul was proud of the gospel because he had proved its power in his own life and in the lives of all those who believe. Church, if we are to be proud of the gospel, if we are to be unashamed of the gospel, it's to know that God has a plan to pull in people from all walks of life, from every corner of the earth, from every stage and state and moment of life, to pull them in and to say, I want you to be a part of this family. Paul knew that the gospel was going to take him to unpredictable and unexpected places, and he fully embraced it because he knew the power that was within him. He knew that the gospel gave him privilege. He knew the gospel gave him power. He knew the gospel and the relationship, because it was a real, authentic relationship, gave him the ability to stand before kings or paupers, priests or, or, or uh, la laity, and he could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Final thoughts are this. Paul was so moved by the power of the gospel and was so grieved that there were those out there, specifically Israel, Jews, who rejected the gospel. In Romans 9, 1 and 3, here were the words he said. 
I am not lying. My conscience bears we witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I, I wish that I could myself, <laughs> for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is the first half of the verse we read early in the beginning. What Paul is saying here is Paul saying, I am so grieved, I have so much pain that the very people that I love, my own flesh and blood people, the Jews, that they have rejected God, I am so aggrieved that they have rejected all this beauty, all this hope, all this salvation. They have rejected all the great things of God. I wish myself, I, Paul, wish, I would cut myself off from Christ himself so that they would come to know him. Did you hear that? Paul was willing to cut himself off from his own salvation so that the Jews would realize what they had in God and would not reject him. Paul's heart was so aggrieved, so grieved, that he just said, ah, oh, I want this so bad for you that I would be willing to forego all the things I know to be true if you would get a hold of it. You see, because salvation is not merely just going from life to death. It's a wide-ranging spectrum of transformation that God wants to bring to humanity and creation. That's the reality of salvation. It is not just this idea of going from life to death. It's a whole transformational experience that God wants to bring for humanity and creation. So what does that leave for us today? Here's a couple statements that I want you to think about, questions you should um, answer uh, as we move forward as a church, as we move into uh, the resurrection, uh, move into resurrection day, as we are, uh, last year my, my message on Easter or on resurrection day was resurrection benefits. As believers that we have resurrection benefits all day, every day, not just during um, these seven days that show up once a year. Here's what I want you to ponder and think about and be made aware of. Number one, know that throughout history, God has a track record of doing the unexpected. Where does he want to do that in your life today? God uh, can be, uh, God is sovereign. He can be unexpected. He can do uh, the unexpected and the unpredictable. It's a mystery and we as believers need to embrace it. Our job is to be accountable to what he wants to do. We're not in control, but we can be accountable to when God gives us an opportunity, how do we step into it? Even when it doesn't feel like God's ways, his unexpected, his unpredictable ways make a lot of sense, just know that all of his ways are done in justly and mercifully. And finally, keep your eyes open for what God wants to do. God is probably working in unexpected and unpredictable ways that you don't realize it. Let it be an opportunity to increase your faith. Be like Paul. Not to say that you've got to pray that, Lord, cut me off from salvation if these people don't come to know you. But be like Paul. Let Paul's anguish uh, grip your heart to say, Lord, Lord, I know you're doing things in unexpected ways. I know you're touching lives unexpectedly. I know you're up to something amazing. 
Lord, help me to see what you're doing because there are people out there who don't know you. And if they don't know you, they don't get access to the amazingness, the beauty, the awesomeness, the wonder, the great, and the gracefulness, and the mercifulness of the God we serve. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. I'm done. Hey, hopefully I did uh, Romans 9 justice. It's a lot of information. If you want more information about Romans 9 and 10, talk to me, talk to Dr. Marty, talk to Kurt, talk to Liz, talk to the team. We'd love to share more with you. Um, this is only the beginning. We're scratching the surface with this. All right. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Holy Week. Man, will you just be in a place of keep your receptors up, keep your spirit sensitive and tender, be on the lookout for where God wants to move in amazing and unexpected ways. Let me pray for us and then we'll close. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Will you help us be aware of what you're doing? Will you help our hearts grieve as you grieve? And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. See you next time.